To start this week, we would like to wish Chelsea FC the warmest and best wishes on their 117th birthday. Yes, listeners, as we record 117 years ago, the London Blues, as they will most likely now be called, were founded. And nothing bad ever happens on birthdays, right? Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friend, Tommy. Welcome to episode 48, season 2. Actually, episode 49. Sorry, guys. Season 2 of the Anglo-Italian pod. Rory, Rory, I see what you did there with that introduction. Before we dive into our episode, remember, ladies and gentlemen, to follow on our social media at Anglo Italian Pod on Instagram and at Italian Anglo Pod on Twitter, and also to give a cheeky little follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. Rory, before we start talking football and anything related to the beautiful game, how are you doing today? I am pretty good. It's payday. So, you know what payday means? That means I've treated myself to a football shirt. And What? Fo- I know. I can you, it, can you imagine, can you imagine the it. girlfriend's surprise when I told her? Um, I have ordered a shirt from friend of the show, Paul Watson. Um, he, we should be lining him up to come on again. He's now involved in a football team in Bhutan, I want to say. And the team is called Thimphu City. So that is now the official team, the official Bhutanese team of the Anglo-Italian pod, just to let you know, Tommy. Um, great, and hopefully, great. hopefully the shirt should be arriving soon. So from now on, we need to, I'll take it upon myself to keep an eye on their results. He does tend to, he does tend to post about them. So I'm pretty excited to have a shirt that definitely no one else I know owns. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, how are you, Tommy? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for asking. I haven't bought any Bhutanese football kit this week. Maybe next <laughs> Not week this I week. will. Not this week. week. Maybe next week I will. Last night, I just have to say it because I've just stopped thinking about it when we pressed on record. I've watched The Batman and I had been waiting for this movie ever <laughs> since the last Nolan movie came out. I was super excited. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, I can't wait for the next chapter of the trilogy already. Uh, and besides that, I'm doing good. It feels like a spring, spring is springing. The days are getting more and more beautiful as mm-hmm. the month of March slowly progresses. You can kind of sense the spring, the summer coming through. And I'm, I'm very excited. Very, very now, excited. I'm going to be really British now and I'm just going to bring up I don't want to jinx it, but I'm going to bring up rain. Usually it rains a lot in Milan at this time of year, and there has not been rain in months. I'm not complaining. I'm just suspicious. I think you... I'm I'm just constantly waiting for it, because usually there's like a month of just flat rain in Milan at some point. Well, let's, the, the, the last time you brought it up, it started raining literally the next morning when I was doing the <laughs> editing. So let's, let's just keep it there. But this week, what are we going to discuss? Of course, it was a Champions League action, both on Tuesday and on Wednesday. We are going to take you through my tears, maybe. We will see concerning Inter Milan exiting the Champions League early. And then we're going to talk about the battering of Bayern Munich and a Kareem dream yet again on the big stage. But then, Rory, I know that we will have to talk about the birthday boys of Chelsea. And you can't help but smile as I say this. We will go in-depth during our Euro review. And then, as a weekly topic, we're going to talk about 
epic Champions League hat-tricks. Rory, are we ready to inflate the blimp and start our trip? I've been ready since the headline broke this morning. <laughs> Let's do it. And it is time to discuss the Champions League. And where else to start but on Tuesday night? Shall we start with Inter Milan, Tommy? I think, I dare say, it went better than you expected. I actually, yeah, let's start from Inter Milan. Let's get it out of the way. I actually said it on the morning to you and our friends from the Hopeless Wanderer pod. I said, I have a feeling there is something in the air that we are going to win, but it's not going to be enough. And Mm -hmm. uh, we did. So a correct prediction for once in my life. Of course, I didn't bet any money on it. Great, great, great. Um, But yeah, I expected that we would really go there to fight and uh, try and win. And we did, but we're going to get to it. At the end, uh, we possibly didn't quite put all the eggs in the basket to try and qualify for the next round. Rory, what did you think about this game? I was absolutely glued to this game. I thought it was fascinating. Um, I thought it was a performance that really almost surprised me from Inter and surprised me from Liverpool. I'm going to talk a little bit about Liverpool before we go to Inter because I think the Inter's going to be the longer bit, I think. Um, For Liverpool, I was a little bit surprised at how casual they seemed. Um, Now, obviously, when you've you've won 2-0 away and you have that lead, you kind of expect a team to manage the game and for them to not... They don't need to take any risks, so why would they? But I felt like they were a little bit too casual. Inter in the first half really were pushing. And I feel like Liverpool got themselves into a place where after so long of not being the protagonist, it's hard to then become the protagonist in a match. And I think we'll come to decisions, but I think a decision, whether right or wrong, definitely benefited them and stopped the game from getting out of their control. Um, So I think I was a little bit disappointed by Liverpool's performance. I think I've seen people after the game talking about how over the two ties, Inter probably played the better football and were probably the better team over the two legs, but they lacked the one thing that Liverpool did show, which was cutting edge, right? Um, Liverpool took the chances they made and they went through. So I think it was... Or probably a wake-up call a bit for Klopp to be like, okay, if we're going to get through, we can't be so casual in these ties. I think he was surprised at how um, difficult they found it against Inter without being patronised. I think his was quote he, afterwards... Was he bluffing? Was he bluffing, though? I'm going to ask no, you right I, away. I think because his Klopp comments is, is afterwards... Cunning. He's cunning. Th- He's a cunning manager. I, 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 I think... Klopp generally says what he thinks, and that can be good or bad, right? We've we've covered quotes that he said where it's been bad. Um, and I think he says what he thinks. And his comments afterwards where he said, I'm glad I don't have to play Inter every week, like they're a team of warriors. Like, I think he did. I don't know if he expected it to be that difficult, but he found it difficult. Um, so I think Inter did a good job, but in the second leg, it just wasn't quite enough. Um, players that stood out for me very quickly. Alexis Sanchez getting all the headlines, even though in his first half performance, he was unbelievable. He was fucking everywhere. He was just running nonstop. And Otto Vidal, that guy, man, he had one of those nights where it's like, it was just classic Vidal. He was back. Um, Again, friend of the show, Uncle Sharma, shared on his Twitter this week, 
Arturo Vidal was first in recoveries um, of all the players who played in 14 recoveries. He was first in duels one with eight. He won all of his aerial duels. He was first in tackles one in four, and he was first in interceptions with two. This guy was a classic Vidal shithouse nuisance performance, and I really enjoyed seeing him. Beautiful. Another standout name for me was Virgil van Dijk. It's no news. He had an incredible game throughout the 90 minutes. Um, the best centre-back in the world, uh, I will say. It. I, what do you think, Rory? But, but Tommy, you've inflicted him his first ever loss at Anfield. Yeah, that's we're gonna get to it. So let me start with uh, let me start with uh, with this. So <laughs> with the strong inter bias, I was just like, I don't, I I didn't I didn't particularly like Klopp's praises. It just felt like you know you beat your eight year old cousin on FIFA, and then you tell him, dude, you played great. You know, like you are you you've got so much hope for the future. You're a real warrior. You know. You're a real warrior, dude. But you just, you know, you just advanced against your eight-year-old cousin on FIFA. It just felt like that. I did message your cousin Chris, the number one scouse that we know, listeners, listener of the pod, and I said, "Do you think that maybe Klopp, with these praises, is kind of laying the groundwork for his future as a manager in Milan? Could you ever see that happening, Rory?" I think. Oh. You would love Klopp at Inter. Oh Fucking hell, that would be would I? Gee, like I think obvious. Every I think every fan would love Klopp at their club, right? I think I don't know. I think I get the feeling that now modern day managers, after they've had a job, they do take a big break. And I feel like once he's done with Liverpool, he's going to be gone for a while. He's it's been a long tenure. This is yeah, to, and this I'm is not a... sure if or where he comes back. Yeah. I would love to see him at, uh, at Inter. I would love to see him in Serie A. The reason when I think I, when the, I, the personalities could match definitely the personality of the club and him. I think they could match. When I was at the San Siro with my friend Alessandro to watch the first leg, um, we were both talking about the presence that he has on the sideline. You know, mm-hmm. with that big coat, the hood yeah, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. the hat, and we were just like, "Can you imagine if one day he coaches Inter Milan?" But let's go back to the actual game. <laughs> so I didn't get running away with our imagination yeah, there yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I'm proud of the boys. Uh, let's not talk about the first leg. There is a lot to recriminate for the first leg. As an Inter Milan fan, we should have scored a goal. Uh, we've already talked about it. We were always looking for the easy pass in front of goal rather than shooting on target. We barely shot on target. Uh, there was that crossbar from Chalanolu. But let's talk about the second leg. We went into possibly one of the hardest stadiums in the world to where to return a fixture. Um, Liverpool hadn't lost a game at home, as you were saying, since Fulham last year. Um, Virgil van Dijk, this was his first loss in over 60 games uh, at Anfield. So I'm proud of the boys that just went there and fought. When Lautaro Martinez scored that beauty of a goal for a second, I started believing those incredible... I mean, seeing the Inter fans at Anfield pretty much in the field, that just got me super pumped. One minute later, Alexis Sanchez decides to uh, pick up uh, another unnecessary yellow card on the opposing half as we were attacking. And that really wound me up. He was sent out, and then at 10 versus 11, he just became like a way steeper mountain to climb. Look, from Liverpool, there was the first article from Rivista Contrasti, my favorite online mm. magazine, the first one that I kind of disagreed with. 
they were kind of, you know, saying the narrative in Italian newspapers is wrong. It's not true that Inter played that incredible of a game. It always felt very coldly calculated from Liverpool. And it did. I agree with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they definitely managed the game. They managed the game. They managed their two goal advantage and then their one goal advantage very, very well. They, I think that at a point, they kind of said, okay, we are playing around a little too much. Let's not forget that they also hit two posts throughout mm-hmm. the 90 minutes. So their opportunities were there. They weren't able to finalize. If I were a Liverpool fan, I would be happy with the result. But at the same time, as you were saying, this is not the attitude if you want to go all the way to the end. Uh, and I think that their fans too would have loved to see a little more drive to actually you know, mm. put one in the back of Inter's net. Um, what where, did you sorry? What, what did you think of the second yellow? Because I think I understand why he got it sent is, off, but I think it is a yellow. He was because he gets the ball. He clearly gets the ball, and I think all he does is follow through. His studs aren't up, and he doesn't make much contact. I think he gets sent off for the accumulated fouls before that. I think he almost gets sent off for the first tackle where the ref only gave him a yellow and the ref afterwards has realized, oh shit, maybe that was a red and the next opportunity he's got to send him off. I think it was actually quite harsh, but we can talk about the first foul probably should have been a red, right? The first foul was a so-called orange um, Mm. and it was like, I'm going to give you yellow, but I'm going to keep it in my mind what just happened. And then next thing you do, and then it was a bit of a dog throughout the entire game, right? He was everywhere. He was everywhere. He was everywhere. Um, I love to see that energy, but at the same time, you need to be able to control that energy. Yeah, yeah. And it felt like he wasn't really thinking. So the <laughs> second yellow, the as I was reading on Italian newspapers, the studs were not up, but they were exposed. And okay. the, despite there being a glimpse of him like trying to pull the leg back, he still goes into the opponent's leg. Mm. I, I think it's fair. I think what wasn't fair, if you want to talk about referring mistakes, but that's not even, that's UEFA. I think it was unfair that Barella uh, had to sit out two legs. (laughs) That was absolutely unfair, in my opinion. Um, I think that this game uh, was lost by Inter's lack of squad depth, which Mm -hmm. is a problem that is really starting to show up this season. We've already talked about it. We need another striker. we need another striker, and we definitely need to go into the market this year if we want to be more competitive. I loved your words, Rory, when you told me that uh, the positive is that, okay, we've been back in the Champions League for a few years now. We finally, this year, we were able to overcome the group stages, and mm-hmm. uh, this year we stopped at the round of 16. So, according to my calculations, if next year we'd stop at the quarterfinals, the year after at the semifinals, the year after we lose a final, and the year after we win it, it means that in 2026 we are going to be crowned European champions. I have time for that. Why not? Yeah, well, that's weird. That kind of matches up with my loop of how Arsenal should progress if we finish where we finish. So maybe it's an Arsenal interfinal. We'll see. But I think, <laughs> I think it's um, yeah. There's been steady progress for Inter. Steady progress. The substitutions. Now I know you're down to ten men. I know uh, you're down to ten men, but you've got nothing to lose. <laughs> like you've got nothing to lose. Just bring on every attacking player you've got. I don't know why you bring on. He brings on Gagliardini, right? And he brings on Vicino. Um, where is where, Zeko, and leaves right? and leaves um, Jekyll on the bench? I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, I think 
He brings on Gagliardini, Darmian, Correa, and Vecino, and Zeko stays on the bench. Yeah, now I know like Correa is an attacking move, but he takes off Martinez. You're like, I know you don't want it to get embarrassing, right? But you've got, you might as well, as they say, you might as well lose 8 0 now because you're going out. So try and get that goal. So I think, again, it's something we've talked about, but Simone Inzaghi's conservatism is mm-hmm. something that he maybe needs to get past or realize that with the squad he has at Inter, maybe he can afford to be a bit more uh, ambitious or a bit yeah. more adventurous, even though we have said your depth isn't great. He should be pushing a little bit more to try and get those goals. Like I said, when you've got nothing to lose, just go for it. I think they really kind of whimpered out of the game, really. Once it went down to 10 men, it was like, okay, let's just not concede another. It's like, well, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. I agree with you. And and what I like even less, when he was questioned rightfully by the journalists, uh, why didn't you bring Zeko on? He said, I wanted to preserve him for the game against the Torino. At the 75th minute, like a professional football player <laughs> yeah. cannot play 15 minutes of a Champions League game and then play again on the Sunday. Like, come on, don't uh, just, just say... I shat my pants. You cannot say it really, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to embarrass ourselves, maybe. Yeah. Um, but at that point, what I would have personally tried out was Correa, Lautaro Martinez, and Zeko up front. Yeah. Maybe Correa and Lautaro Martinez on the sides, or you put mm-hmm. Correa as a trequartista behind Lautaro and Zeko. Um, yeah, I agree with you. And Z- and Lautaro, you never take him out after such a goal at Anfield. That like goal. That. We need to talk about the goal as well. Is that his best ever goal for Inter? Ooh. I don't know. Definitely, it's going to be in his highlight reel. It's going to be up there in his highlight reel of goals for Inter Milan. And the the, the, the backdrop just makes it all the more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you don't take out a player like that. This guy hasn't scored in the Champions League yeah. in over 400 days. He finally does. And you take <laughs> him out? Like, what, what are you doing? Come on, this guy has the drive in him. Like, yeah. Lautaro Martinez needed to score goals in Serie A and in the Champions League. In the matter of the last two games, he did both leave him on maybe he's going to pick mm-hmm. another jolly now the thing that Rivista Contrasti was arguing is that a lot of people are forgetting that had we scored the second goal we wouldn't have gone through still we would have gone to extra time against yeah. Liverpool yes that's right? a fair point that's a fair point point. and I don't think that in 10 men even with our three forwards we would have been able to win it but you never know I agree with you the, the, the these uh, Inzaghi substitutions I don't really get them just go for it. I agree with you. Just go for it. Let's try to, to bang another one in and go through. What is left for Inter Milan now? I think that this is a win that uh, uh, gives you hope for mm-hmm. the about you, what you're capable of for the league. Now, I expect nothing but convincing performances and three points on three points on three points on three points. We're going to get to the league at the end of the episode, but we were very lucky. We were extremely lucky that while we were going through a slump, also Napoli and Daisy Milan were going through a slump. That was unbelievably mm-hmm. lucky. Now it's time to, you know, gear up and get ready and just win games and collect a second consecutive Italian Scudetto. Um, I'm. It's a bit sour, but not that much. Fine. Overall aggregate 2-0, 2-1. I would have hated to see 4-0, 5-0. It wasn't that. 2-1 still makes me not proud, but I can accept it. And that's everything I have to say. 
Well, listen, I think you got the hardest draw, arguably. You got one of the hardest draws straight out of the group. Like, you have to still say Liverpool are one of the favourites for the trophy. Like, you could have easily got a draw that City got, if you know what I mean. It just got Sporting Club to Portugal. Or like, let me think, you, you didn't. You Juventus, maybe. Right? Juventus with Villarreal. Like, it could have gone yeah, so many. Yeah, yeah. We actually so drew think... Ajax, Mr. Arshavin. Was that him who drew the balls and made a, the mistake? Was that Let's him? not have Arshavin hate on this pod, please. I'm not having <laughs> any Arshavin hate on this pod. Not here. Um, but I think, yeah, you had a ridiculously hard draw. It's If you're being honest with yourself, that aggr- like you said, that aggregate score is probably lower than you expected. So I think mm. you'd, it's annoying, but you'd take it. Um, on to next year and hopefully a better draw. Um but elsewhere, on the same night... God, this is just funny, in my opinion. This is just Now, scary. we said that Salzburg had made Bayern Munich angry, right? We said, yeah. you don't want to make this team angry, and they did. Um, and what actually made me laugh, just before I even saw the game, I saw the lineup, and I was like, holy shit. They have got the most attacking... Like, I'll take you through the starting 11. So you've got Neuer, Pavard, Sula... Uh, Lucas Hernandez. Who are Kit- two? You've got two two wing wing backs, backs and one centre back. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> then you've got Kimmich, right? Obviously, unbelievable player. Muziala, Gnabry, Muller, Sane, Komen, and Lewandowski. That is one, two, three, four, five, six players that can all play striker. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you got. You know when you hear like the tactics from when like in the 1930s teams would genuinely play like two seven and it was just about score <laughs> it honestly i was reading the lineup and i was like what is this formation it's like one two six is that right one two seven um so it was from the off you were like okay someone's about to get slapped tonight and, and it's not by your munich <laughs> it's not by munich Salzburg did, uh, to nobody's surprise, and they got slapped 7-1. So Lewandowski hat-trick, two penalties. Serge Nabry getting in on the act. Little thing about him coming up later, I think. Thomas Muller getting two goals and Leroy Sane. RB Salzburg getting their consolation, the definition of a consolation in the 70th minute. I don't know if you agree with me, Tommy, but 7-1 is a neater scoreline than 7-0. I think 7-1 is just a bit nicer. I don't know. We call it... Do you know what we call that goal in Italian? Go on. Il gol della bandiera. It's the, the goal uh, with, with which you honor your colors. Let's wow, say bandiera. I like that. Bandiera like stands for flag. And usually when we... Play, <laughs> there was one game that I played with my mates in uh, Calcetto, five-a-side football. Okay. We were getting battered by this team. The result was like 14 nil. And in the, end, <laughs> in the end, they very clearly let us score one goal so that we could have something to talk about in the locker room. That is the goal de la bandiera. Um, Thomas Müller, do you know that he's got more Champions League goals than a certain Thierry Henry? Well, he's, he probably got further in the competition more often than Thierry Henry ever did. <laughs> Arguably so. Arguably so. He's got 52 goals, 54 TT. He's now the seventh overall um, Champions League top goal scorer. His eyes are set on a certain Ruth van Nistelrooy at 56. So only four goals. Yeah, to he's going to overtake him. He'll overtake him easily. Easily. And- and after that, well, after that, the climb is pretty steep. Another 15 goals to match 
Raul Gonzalez, the great <laughs> Raul Gonzalez. But so, was there any hope for Salzburg going into this game? I think there was, but very quickly, the, the candle <laughs> sort of like turned off. Yeah, I think Bayern got the job done pretty quickly. They scored their first goal within 12 minutes, 2-0 up within 21, 3-0 up within 23, 4-0 up within 31. Like, it was... An absolute demolition. Um, but for Salzburg, look, we know that this, like we've talked about them before, they're a team that produces great young players. They got a great result at home. Like to get the one all is yeah. a great result. They'll still, like, obviously no one wants to go out 7-1, but they'll still be proud of what they've achieved in this, their first Champions League. No, this isn't their first Champions League campaign, is it? One of their first Champions League campaigns. And as an Arsenal fan, it was just nice to see someone else getting absolutely battered by Bayern in the round of 16. Because usually it's Arsenal. And honestly, I was watching it and I was like, do we want to go back to the Champions League yet? <laughs> do we want it? Because I can't wait five years for the Champions League, go back. <laughs> And then get slapped by Bayern out of it in the first knockout round. I can't take it. I can't take if it. If that happens, Rory, it's going to be like one of those memes of the dog <laughs> reminiscing about like the Vietnam War, you know, with the yeah. pictures, like just the flashes of the war. Well, coming I've, through I've, your I eyes. we were talking about it on WhatsApp, right? The last time Arsenal played Bayern Munich, the last time Arsenal were in Champions League and played Bayern Munich, I was out in Kazakhstan. So obviously the time difference is six hours, right? So the game mm-hmm. kicked off at two o'clock in the morning. And I was awake until the 70th minute when we were fucking 5 nil down or whatever it was. I finally went to bed. I've still got PTSD about that. I was but don't so worry, it's, it's not only Arsenal that has been battered by, by Bayern Munich. I seem to remember also a Roma team that got battered. like seven Barcelona. We're in, we're in quite good form. We're in yeah, quite, good, quite good company, even quite good company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are going to talk about our uh, potential uh, favourites to win the Champions League. But I think that this Champions League edition is wide open. There are mm-hmm. quite a few names that could go for the title. And I don't know who are the favorites at this given moment. It's going to be very interesting to see coming next week. I think Friday next week, we will have all of the qualified teams lined up and there will be a draw. And uh, I'm curious to see this Bayern Munich team against... Uh, mm-hmm. A Liverpool or maybe... I want that final. I want that final. I don't want it early. I want Bayern Munich-Liverpool final. I don't want it in the quarterfinals. Or don't you want a certain Real Madrid in the final? And here what a we segue, get, Tommy. We get, boom, very smooth. <laughs> we get to Wednesday night, Manchester City, nil, Sporting, nil. Not going to talk about this game. Yeah. But let's talk about PSG finally going... Th- oh. Nope. They Not didn't again. They, Not didn't, again. they didn't consider a certain Kareem the Dream, a player that, oh my, oh my, I have so much time for. Rory, what happened at the Bernabeu? PSG had it in their hands. The first half of the game, I thought this is a, a, a word that's used too much on Twitter, but a generational performance from from Kylian Mbappe. He was unbelievable at every time, just catching Real Madrid on the break. He scored a carbon copy of the goal offside before he scored the one that he did score. That dummy pass Courtois was beautiful. The one where he fakes, lets Courtois go, takes it around him. Unfortunately, he was offside. 
that goal should have been given just for how beautiful that dummy was. I feel like it's forever since we've seen a goalkeeper be rounded by someone. Strikers don't do it anymore. We were, we were talking about it. We feel yeah. like in this generation, um, players don't really take on the goalkeeper anymore. I think they're we, told not to. I think they're told like they're coached not to because it is dangerous, right? But I, more rounding goalkeepers, please. We want to see it more. But anyway, that goal was ruled offside. Kylian Mbappe was absolutely butchering Real Madrid. And then... Second half, Gianluigi Donnarumma makes a bit of a howler, right? Now, I saw the PSG owners, and we'll get onto this, the fallout after the game, but the PSG owners thought this was a foul by Benzema. I think that's utter bullshit. Did you think this was a foul? No, I don't think it was a foul. Uh, and to say even Poch recriminated, he said if uh, that foul had been given and it was a foul, the story would have been different. I disagree with you, Poch. I don't think the history would have been different. No. Real Madrid had a different drive. And that is, yes, he goes through with his leg, um, but it's not a foul. It's From just what a... I saw, it would just seem like a shoulder barge. He tries yeah. to get the ball. He barges him off the ball. Donnarumma <clears throat> should definitely be stronger. He's a fucking big enough lad. He yeah. should definitely be stronger. And he should just be pinging that ball into the crowd. The second you're that close to your goal line and you know you can see someone there, just get rid of it. What He, he tries to be a bit clever, passes it to, tries to pass it to his defender. Vinicius gets it, squares it. Benzema scores it, 1-0. And from that moment, I thought, okay, PSG are in trouble. (laughs) Can I say one thing? I've watched and re-watched that first goal. And despite it being a Donnarumma howler, we've got to give credit to Benzema and Vinicius Jr., who Mm -hmm. never give up on the ball. And there is a moment I was especially impressed by Vinicius Jr., by his awareness of the game. There is the moment that Benzema goes, all right, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to put pressure on the goalkeeper. And you kind of see Vinicius jogging. And when he, he, per, he, he feels like Benzema is going to attack the goalkeeper, he doesn't waste a second. And he starts sprinting. He starts attacking the open areas to kind of cut the pass that Donnarumma then makes to Hakimi. So great awareness from a true champion, Karim Benzema. And great awareness also from one of the next big stars in European football, current great stars, Vinicius Jr., who I've got a lot of time for. This guy, honestly, he's so exciting to watch. So exciting to watch. He was absolutely, especially as the game went on, he was up against Hakimi, right? Was that the same wing? Yeah. He was absolutely just walking past him at times. It was pretty bad to watch. But then the second goal, we need to talk about a second goal. So from there, two players who definitely coasted through the game. But I think... Neymar and Messi definitely were anonymous, right? I think it's fair to say. But except, Neymar lo- except that pass for the first goal from Neymar, which was pinpoint Correct. beautiful. Correct. And there was a beautiful through ball from Messi at one point, I remember. But um, Neymar loses the ball, and Luka Modric with two world-class passes in one move. Now, the run, <laughs> where he just sprints through midfield... Picks out Vinicius, who then, the second Vinicius got the ball, I thought, just hit it first time. And he doesn't. And I was like, oh, he's wasted the chance. He's wasted the chance. Nope. He holds it, waits for the play to catch up to him. Across to Modric, who then just puts this beautiful slide rule pass. Not magging the defender. Yeah, not making the defender whilst he does it. For Benzema to just smash it in. I honestly, it's one of those moments where like, Obviously, I don't watch a lot of La Liga, right? Mm -hmm. And I forget how good Modric is. 
because it's been a long time since he played for Spurs. And when he played for Spurs, I refused to admit how good he was. So I think this was one of those moments where I was like, holy shit, this guy is really good. And it just reminded me in one Ballon d'Or winner. How great he is. Let's never forget Ballon d'Or winner, the only player, as much as we really don't believe in this award, but the only player to break the Cristiano mm-hmm. Ronaldo Messi streak was indeed Luka Modric. Look, he's having and a good season. And he almost season. scored. And he really came close to scoring as well. He hit one from far out, which looked like it was going top corner. True, true. And uh, look, I thought uh, he's having actually a very good season in La Liga this year. And I thought, uh, do you remember when there were rumors of him coming to Inter Milan? Do you remember that? Mate, how much would you have loved that? I would have loved it. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I was like, this guy is getting a little old. Right now, he's 36. Well, guess what? He's still got it 100%. That run on the second goal. He puts to shame so many names in that PSG team. He 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 goes past, I want to say, five players in that I run. hate to say it. This was the second half. Verratti got absolutely outrun by him. It was yeah. just, it was getting embarrassing at times. And I, um, I am all Verratti propaganda. Like, I fucking love that guy. But he got outrun by Modric, who's 36 years old, in that second half. It all got pretty ugly pretty quickly. And then the third goal, uh, and man, this third goal. So, rightfully, maybe on the spot, Benzema has had an incident at, out of the pitch that has influenced his career forever, we can say. Mm-hmm. But despite that, he is a true professional. And I want to say that after Cristiano Ronaldo's departure to Juventus, he was the one that really took up the responsibility to carry Real Madrid on his shoulders. And I don't think he still gets the credit he deserves for what he has done at that club. The third goal made me emotional. You can see that such a Mm tough-looking player is on the edge, on the verge of tears. He's celebrating with his teammates and he's just like, man, I can't fucking believe it. Like, I just scored a hat-trick. And he's French against the PSG. Like yeah, he's an, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's from Marseille, right? No, he's from Lyon, right? So he, from Lyon. So he he's a hates Lyon PSG native. as well. Yeah, definitely dislikes PSG and putting that hat-trick for Real Madrid. Coming back from a defeat at Paris. Wow. Unbelievable stuff from Karim Benzema. I love that third goal. It makes it look so casual mm-hmm. and easy. It's, guess what? It's not like right there unsavable beautiful no, i think this goal. is like obviously we've had different as you've kind of mentioned we've had different um opinions on or different feelings towards benzema i feel like i'm starting to be able to separate the artist from the man um yes. i think i'm really i think i'm really starting to like you're right since ronaldo left he's just you wonder how much Obviously, Real Madrid was ridiculously good for... uh, Ronaldo was so good for Real Madrid and they won everything. But you wonder how much um, Benzema kind of sacrificed for Ronaldo, if you know what I mean, considering Mm -hmm. the fact that how good he's been since he left. Um, And we have an update from the Europa League. West Ham are 1-0 down. Sevilla have just scored. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, we're recording on a Thursday night. Happy days for the Spanish teams. 
We need to talk before we go to PSG. We need to also talk about a certain manager uh, who manages Real Madrid. Uh, what's his name? Ah, Carletto Ancelotti. Woo, baby, 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 baby. I am so happy for Carletto. Um, I love him so much. I love him. <laughs> I love him. Beautiful. Um, do you think, uh, what do you think is uh, Ancelotti's legacy at Real Madrid? I think he's up there as one of the greatest managers they've ever had. Well, he won the Champions League with them, right? How many did he win with them? What? He, uh, I, he, he won the 10th Champions League. Which he won was the decimal, one... right? Against Atletico Madrid. Yeah, the one that they were that they were dying to win. And I just think they love him down there. And, and he's won... I'm just looking at... So, <laughs> Phil, while I go to Wikipedia, I'm just looking at his, <laughs> um, his honours. So, as a manager at Real Madrid, he's now won... Um, the Copa del Rey, the Supercopa, yeah, one Champions League, a Supercop, and the FIFA Club World Cup. He's not won La Liga with them yet. Ooh, well, will this be the year? Of course, there are. There is they are currently run. eight points clear. It's looking like this could be the year. But I think if he gets them the league, then yeah, he has to be one of their like favoured. In, in, in Football Manager, it would be favoured personnel. I'm not sure if he's a legend or an icon yet, but it would be favoured personnel. Um... But in terms of Italian football, the guy's an absolute legend. It's so mad now, looking at the state of Everton, to think that he was only there like two seasons ago, which is just not even that. A season ago? Two seasons? Last season, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's fucking mental. Um, but he's doing an incredible job at Real Madrid. We know he's so good in the Champions League. And we're going to have to go on to PSG, though. What, yes, please. What are they doing? I love the narrative here. Now, it's not often that Real Madrid are kind of like the good guys, mm-hmm. but I feel like PSG really, I'm loving the fact that PSG and City just can't seem to get their shit together in this competition. I'm really enjoying it because it, it kind of almost proves that you can't just throw money, money at something until it works. I know Real Madrid are not the good guys. They spend lots of money, but it's, it's old money, so it's different. <laughs> I don't know. But, but I, I like this kind of narrative. And now PSG are the bottlers of the Champions League, right? So who do you think they should go for in the market this summer? Should they go for Spider-Man, Batman, Hulk? Who do you, who do you buy for your team? Like, yeah, yeah. Once you've bought all the superstars in football, who is the one? The one like they, they need to start like a, a partnership with Elon Musk. Maybe they can do some like genetic engineering. Like, Although maybe that's Holland. We've always said Holland was like genetically engineered to play football. Maybe it's like they need to just contact Elon Musk and be like, We've got an idea. We've got all the money in the world and you're mental. Can we get together and do something? Because the problem is that, I mean, we will see, but Kylian Mbappé, he's probably gone. He's like 75%. He's gone. He's gone. 75% yeah. with his foot out the door, even more, 85% with it. I know I was kind of mimicking, uh, this is for the Totally Football Show listeners. Do you know how Julian Laurence every mm-hmm. week has got a different percentage over the possibility, the likelihood yeah. that Mbappé yeah. will leave? Yeah. And James Castle, I don't know if you saw this on social media, he texted him the other day saying, Poch out after PSG lost to Nice. And Julien Laurence got really mad. He said, I don't have time for that. There is a lot going through my head. I'm very worried about the state of this team and this manager. Just don't text me, potch out, before the big fixture against Real Madrid. <laughs> I just loved it. Um, but yeah, Bappe is with one foot out the door. And he's undoubtedly their best player in the team. 
what is next for them? And especially, what kind of player would want to sign a contract with a team that have proven over and over again that they're bottlers in the Champions League, no matter the advantage that they have in the first leg? Well, and, and the thing is, they keep throwing, like... They keep just throwing money. They bought Sergio Ramos. I'm not sure if he's played. Um, they bought Vinaldum. I'm not sure if he's played. They've like it just seems like again, and we were kind of praising them, I feel like, at the beginning of this tournament, being like, okay, maybe they've got a bit of a squad together. They're getting their team looking okay and they're filling those gaps. There's still a few random players where I'm like, how do you play for PSG? Kimpembe is the most overrated centre-back I've ever seen in my life, and I include Maguire. Like, it is... <laughs> I do not... They've still got holes in that team, but I thought they'd got past it. But now, you're looking at a squad where, as you said, Mbappe's leaving. Messi looks disinterested at best. Um, I think he never, ever wanted to leave Barcelona, and I think he's fucking gutted that he's playing there. You've got Neymar, who has his own issues off the field um, in terms of barely wanting to play football. I feel like it is something that all of a sudden has gone from... It's mad how one result can change a narrative completely, but it's gone from like an up-and-coming, maybe these are the guys, to like, okay, now they're in the shit and everything's falling apart. And it's a bit mad. And then... You see that from the the ownership and the leaders of the of the of the club, they're now having um, legal proceedings opened against them because they went to the referee room. Al Khalifi, the um, the owner of the club, has yep. gone into the referee's room, threatened the referee, broken one of the linesman's flags, and threatened to kill someone who was recording it, a Real Madrid member of staff, and. As I put on Twitter earlier, you do not take death threats from those people lightly. Like, they will fucking kill you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Episode the title. There we go. I'm writing it down. They will fucking kill you. You're welcome, listeners. When they say it, they mean it. So I think it's... You see that from the ownership and you're like, okay, well, maybe the whole club is just a complete fucking mess. Like, And they can't get shit together. The, The thing we're all hoping now because we all love Christophe Gaultier as well, like what a manager at Nice. If they manage to win the league now, that would be unbelievable. They're only, oof, there's a bit of a gap. Yeah, <laughs> there is, I was going to say, I was going to say, what are you talking about? There is a massive gap in there. There's a bit uh, of a gap. They're having a great season. Let's not go as far as saying that they're going to win But it's Poch, it's Poch. You never know. The Tottenham doesn't leave you. The Tottenham doesn't leave you. He still... If he leaves PSG only winning the Coupe de France, that would be absolutely hilarious. But anyway, PSG are now out. They're a bit lost, and I think they are the bottlers of the Champions League. They bottled it in the remontada against Barcelona, in which Neymar and Messi played, by the way. Um, They bottled it against Manchester United, where Rashford got the 94th-minute penalty, and now they've bottled it against Real Madrid. It's a bit mad. It's a bit mad, especially that Manchester United are in that list. I know, yeah. On the Ollie as well. So weird. That was the game. That was the game where Rio Ferdinand did the get the contract out, sign it, whatever we want. Ollie's at the wheel. That was that game. 
yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Look, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be a PS3 fan, honestly. Uh, that is terrible, and um, it, it's just bad. It's just well, bad. And you, you've tried everything. What are you going to yeah. try now? You've tried world-class managers. You've tried world-class players. You've thrown all the money that you had. Not really. You still have a lot. But <laughs> what are you going to do now? Like, I, I don't yeah. see what's the solution. Well, I, I saw a really interesting take on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, but someone said, yeah, being a PSG fan must be fucking terrible. If you win the league, you can't be happy because if you don't win the league, it's a disaster. So mm-hmm. your your home campaign just feels like, if we don't win it, I'm going to hang myself. And then all that happens is you get into the Champions League and you get knocked out every year. Like, that sounds fucking shit. <laughs> like, it that does. sounds shit. It does. And if I was a footballer, I wouldn't want to go. I wouldn't want to sign for PSG. I mean, think of all the great players that they've had over the past 10 years and nobody was ever able to take them all the way Mm -hmm. to the trophy. They even played the final, lost it 1-0. Yeah. So I don't know what's, what's next for PSG. What I'm sure about is that... Antonio Conte, he's next. Antonio Conte at PSG is happening. It's happening. All right. Wow. I like that take. And Poch to United? I hope so. I really hope so. Next week in the Champions League on Tuesday, of course, we will be able to preview it on our Monday night live stream on Twitch and YouTube. Follow us on social media to know how to find us on those platforms. We've got Ajax Benfica. Ajax, the team that we were supposed to be playing in the Champions League. Er, Arshavin. Er. Then Manchester United, Atletico Madrid. And then we also got on Wednesday Juventus Villarreal and Lille Chelsea. This, of course, is next week. As we are recording, Sevilla are still winning 1-0 against uh, West Ham, but it's time to move to national football, Rory, and talk about your favorite topic of the week. I I can't believe we've actually... Well, I was going to say we've held off this long. We included it in the intro, but we've held off this long to talk about... The big news today, and genuinely, it has, it came, it, it shocked me, right? What shocked me the most was that, again, I don't want to get into politics, but what shocked me the most was that Boris Johnson has actually done something. Um, and he sanctioned seven more oligarchs in the UK, I want to say. Namely, the one everyone's talking about is, of course, Roman Abramovich. This means that Chelsea, as a club, are now frozen. So, what does this mean? It means that... They will, both the men's and women's team will be able to see out their fixtures, right? They'll be able to, um, they'll be able to continue practice as normal, but they're not able to bring in or make money, right? They're not able to do anything that involves money, basically. So only season ticket holders will be at games. They're no longer allowed to sell tickets. They're no longer allowed to sell merchandise. They're no longer allowed away fans in the stadium, but their fans can go two away games because that wouldn't be money that would go to the club um for the fa cup they can sell tickets for the fa cup but the money needs to go to the fa not to chelsea the same for uefa for the champions league um all outstanding debts are still owed so this means money for lukaku Werner, chilwell hat and habits they all still need to be paid but loans and payments owed to the club also still need to be paid need to be paid but the money will not go to Abramovich the most kind of interesting one here and i think the one that weirdly could have the most impact in the short term is that they are limited to 20000 pounds limit 
for travel for away games. Now, £20,000 sounds like quite a lot, but when you have a private jet and you have five-star hotels and you have all your players, all your coaches, all your staff, that is a lot more than £20,000. So what Chelsea could find themselves doing is having to get charter, like not charter flights. What's the opposite of charter flights? Charter flights. Yeah, is the ones that you flight. normally get, right? They might find themselves getting charter flights to away games in Europe. So this means if you're on Ryanair and you're flying to a major <laughs> European city in the next couple of weeks, you might share a plane with the Chelsea squad. Um, this is one where I think it could have the biggest impact on the players, really, because it is like such a direct impact where the hotels they're going to stay at, if they can even do overnight stays at away games now, especially in the UK, they might have to travel by bus or by by train that day and come back. Like, it's a bit mad. So short term, the team is, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really bad. And you have to say that, like, for the fans, for the Chelsea fans in general, like I do feel I have a bit of sympathy for them, right? I have a bit of sympathy for like the kind of diehard Chelsea fans who've grown up supporting that club, who like love that club, love football. It's something that you're thinking, why are we getting punished for this? Let me tell you, you're getting punished for this (laughs) because your owner is heavily involved with a war criminal. And that is what it is now. Now, you knew this, Everybody knew this when he bought the club. When he bought the club, everyone knew he had links to Putin. Everyone knew how he got the money by making grubby deals with Boris Yeltsin and that Putin was going to come for him one day. That's why Abramovich didn't live in Russia for a very long time, right? Everybody knew this. And eventually, as we said, your history was going to catch up with you. And it has. Now, if you've celebrated the success that he brought, as you rightly have, because you're a fan, right? You've enjoyed the Champions League. You've enjoyed the Premier League wins. You now have to take this. I'm sorry. You just have to take it. Because if you are happy to celebrate the success that came from that money, you have to be willing to condemn where the money came from. Um, As an Arsenal fan, I absolutely love it. Because I think the timing of when Abramovich, now this is me being bitter a little bit, the timing of when Abramovich arrived was really shit for Arsenal. It was really shit for Arsenal and it killed us. We just had the invincible team and we'd agreed to move stadium at which point the richest team in the world arrives and we can no longer compete. That's me being bitter for a bit. That's why I kind of dislike Chelsea, but I was looking through how they changed the premier league and I was looking at their, the transfer history across the seasons, right? So I'm just going to go through a few seasons and what the record spends were and how much it changed, right? Just so one in thing, the... this morning, Rory sent me the happiest voice message I've received in a <laughs> long time. It was sunny as well. I want to make that caveat. It was it really was sunny. sunny. And he said, mate, what a jolly good day. It's sunny outside of Milan. The birds are chirping. Chelsea are done forever. I'm abusing Chelsea fans on our Twitter. <laughs> he just can't get any better. How are you doing, mate? Talk to you later for the pod. And I was just like, wow, Rory. All right. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of resentment towards Chelsea fans. And it's not all Chelsea fans. Like, it's not all men, but it's some of you, right? And there's a lot of resentment going towards it. But Go, for, go through the transfer, transfer history. 
the 0203 season, the top spenders in the league were Manchester United with 40 million, right? 30 million of that was spent on uh, Rio Ferdinand. And the second highest spending team was Man City, who spent 36 million, 13 million of that being on Anelka, right? So the highest spend in the league that year was 40 million. Then Chelsea arrive, or Abramovich arrives, 0304, top spenders. Chelsea spend £142 million and they sell, they make less than a million that season by loaning Mikel Forsell out to Birmingham. Now, this is the year that they bought these names, Tommy. Crespo, Duff, Veron, Makalele, Mutu, Parker, Bridge, Jeremy, Cole and Glenn Johnson, right? That is in one summer. They spend £142 million. Now, nowadays, £142 million doesn't even get you one player, right? Yeah. At that time, that was so much money. Bear in mind that Ferdinand was sold the season before for a world record for a, for a defender, or no, a Premier League record for a defender of 30 million, right? Like that was a lot of money. Sorry, I can't, I can't help but compare that with how much Maguire was paid. Please, I know, keep right? <laughs> it's, it's mental. And the second highest spending team in the 03 04 season was Manchester United. They spent 47 million bringing in Ronaldo and Luis Saha, but they sold 49 million selling Beckham and Varane. So, what I noticed that even through these years, Manchester United, the money they spent was the money they made, and they were the biggest commercial team in, in England. So, of course, they could spend more money. We go to the 04 05 season. So, this is now the second season. Chelsea spent 139 million again bringing in two and a half million from sales. <laughs> they bring in Drogba, Carvalho, Ferreira, Robin, Czech. This is where Mourinho joins, right? And second, United spend 51 million, bringing in Rooney, Heinze, and Alan Smith, but they sell 10 million, right? Again, Man United making a bit of money, but they also were the richest, they were the richest club in the team, richest club in the country before Chelsea arrived. Now, the point, I'm not going to go for every season, but the point I'm trying to make is that Chelsea completely distorted the market and all of a sudden, average players were going for a lot of money and clubs that were having to run sustainable models were suddenly left behind because Chelsea didn't have to. And their owner was never trying to make it a profitable business. He was never trying to make money. It was, I'm just going to spend money because otherwise it will be taken off me. I'm trying to clean up this money, right? Um so they completely changed the Premier League and changed football forever. I think if we look at transfer fees now, we would have got to this point eventually. I'm sure we would have got to this point eventually. It was just accelerated a lot by Chelsea. And what they also did, and this is down to the Premier League as well, it opened the door for these dodgy buyers to come into the Premier League. It was the first one. It wasn't the last one. Man City were bought out by that Thai guy, like Shinawatra, who was like involved in all sorts of stuff before they were then sold to their current owners. Like this was the first step that led to the state we have English football in now, where there's a certain amount of clubs that have all the money and a certain amount of clubs who have no money, how the market is inflated and it's all Abramovich's fault and the Premier League and the Premier League.
Let's say that it was a trend setter. Um, we used this term usually for positive things, but he kind of understood that there was a loophole mm -hmm. right there and he took advantage of it. And uh, from management point of view, fucking incredible to understand that, be the first one that puts it into place. Very, I really love this bit, Rory. But yeah, he, we could say that he started the, if right now we've got the PSGs and the Man Cities um, and all these... Uh, the Newcastles, we're going to get to mm -hmm. it. Uh, it's because Roman Abramovich started doing this with Chelsea and he showed that it was possible. And it, yeah, it changed and, the history of football forever. Well, this is it. And before I get people maybe calling me a hypocrite, I am a hypocrite in many ways, like everybody is. But before people call me a hypocrite, if it had been Arsenal, I like to think that I would have celebrated the Champions League wins. I would. Are have you celebrated kidding me? Them. Of course you would have, right? Yeah, of course. No, me. I yeah. would have celebrated all of them. But I would also like to think that once all the chickens came home to roost, I would be able to accept, okay, yes, our owners have been dodgy bastards. We knew it all the time. We knew this day was coming. What we've actually seen is, and it, it could be a minority, it could be a majority. I don't know. But we've seen a lot of Chelsea fans double down I'm really singing Roman Abramovich's name during uh, a one-minute applause for the people of Ukraine. Stay classy, Chelsea fans. Um, and this is rough, this man. is the kind of thing that is kind of fairly typical of a section of Chelsea fans. These are the fans that push the black man off the train in yeah, Paris. I remember that. These are the Chelsea fans. We've all seen the videos whenever they're abroad in Europe of them smashing up city centers. There's a really horrible video of them pushing a waiter around as he's trying to like fix his restaurant. Like there's a section of Chelsea fans that are disgusting. They are national front, they're BMP, they're racist. And I think this is something that a lot of fans in England still hold really closely when they think of Chelsea. And that's why there's a lot of people now with big smiles on their faces because they know that these Chelsea fans are going through a shit time. And because we know that they'll still be sticking with Abramovich. I look, I I really love this bit. Congratulations on your research. Uh, let's also remember what uh, this allowed the Chelsea fans to celebrate. It wasn't only two Champions League wins, but also five Premier League wins and a Club World Cup, which came uh, this last year in December 2021. A couple of FA Cups thrown in there, a couple of League Cups. Like, as an owner, he was a fantastic club owner. They were very successful. Look, it's I just cannot help where the money came from. I cannot help but think of the hypocrisy still that is around all this. Roman Abramovich is rightfully uh, taken stripped of his football club. I understand it. Um, I don't understand why other clubs, other shady fucking owners are not being penalized and we're kind of closing an eye on it. It's just the hypocrisy on that. There is, is there is a huge. there is a thing of like even as an Arsenal fan, we're owned by Americans, right? Um, Lord knows that Americans have, <laughs> have committed human rights atrocities. The Lord does and, know. And Lord done does. awful things. All it would take is a cultural shift for all of, all of a sudden for Arsenal's owners to be in the spotlight, right? None of these, I'm aware of this, no club is, no super rich club is clean, right? All we can hope is that this is a watershed moment, maybe, and that... This is a war, this, what we're witnessing with this war in Ukraine is really a, a turning point in history, in international relations, in international politics. 
And a lot of things are coming to surface. A lot mm -hmm. of the hypocrisy around all these bands too, as we're discussing right now, is, is coming up. It's always, everything is run by the interest, by, by big political and economical, even more interests. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. And it's I, I think all we, yeah, you're right. And I think all we can hope is that the things that Gary Neville has been pushing for quite a lot, as in like a change in the structure of English football, more fan ownership. Like if Abramovich now turned around and said, I'll give the club to Chelsea fans and they can run the club, Obviously, it doesn't wash his hands, but that's a pretty good gesture, right? I yeah. think this is an opportunity for some positive to come out of this within the football world, which is not the main victim of this, we realize, but we're a football podcast, not a politics podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, luckily not yeah. a politics podcast. Yeah. But yeah, so what's what's going to happen now? Lukaku is not going anywhere, is he? <laughs> Lukaku's not going anywhere. Um, Chelsea cannot offer players contracts. So it looks like Azpilicueta's contract is out at the end of the season. Christensen looked... as well, yeah. Sorry? Rudiger as well, I believe. Rudiger as well. Christensen, but it looked like he was, he'd was he already agreed to move or was agreeing to move to Real Madrid. So there will be some players moving. They will be hoping that, I don't know, what, what do you hope? That you're sold quickly by the British government who are going to like mediate. I think this is going to be something that at least rolls into the start of next season if not the end of that next season this is not going to be a quick fix or maybe you see you see since everything is so corrupt maybe they're going to be sold to the richest family in the middle east or something and they're going to be even more successful would you be surprised if that happened because right now we're, we tend to think that everything is going to be rosier you know but maybe it's just going to get shadier there is even that possibility definitely definitely and there's also a thought that like the only people who are who are interested tend to be american consortiums and as an arsenal fan they're not that bothered about winning things. So <laughs> you can and Liverpool fans will tell you the same from when they were owned by Gillette and Hicks. Like I think Chelsea fans are actually quite worried about being bought out by a consortium. But this is not something that's going to be ended quickly. I just think there's a part of me that's very happy that no, all of me is very happy that the Abramovich era is now done. I could not be happier about it. There we go. And this is the end of our bit on uh, the Chelsea Football Club. Um, and uh, we say bye-bye, uh, Dasvidania, to Roman Abramovic in London. Rory, what have we got next? I think it's time for our weekly topic before we preview the weekend's fixtures in our outro. So do you want to tell our listeners what our weekly topic is going to be about? Inspired by events in Madrid last night and that beautiful hat-trick by Mr. Kareem, we are going to be talking about iconic Champions League hat-tricks. Are you ready? We're ready. And here we are, weekly topic time, and it's time to talk Hat-tricks, one of the best things in football. Perfect hat-tricks, last-minute hat-tricks, game-winning hat-tricks, iconic hat-tricks. That's what we're going to talk about. In the Champions League. In the Champions League. <laughs> Big caveat there, yes. In the Champions League. So, me and Tommy have both picked our favourite of the iconic Champions League hat-tricks. Um, Tommy, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Well, we got three. You can start. I'll go second. Look, this is this is also podcasting, being ready to give the floor to your co-host. Sorry, why don't you start? Why don't you take us through the first hat-trick that comes to mind when you think of iconic UCL hat-tricks in our lifetime? 
in our lifetime. <laughs> there is only one. The second we kind of decided on this topic, the first one that came to my mind, and hopefully is the first one that comes to your mind, listeners. It took place in the 0203 season. It took place at Old Trafford. Ooh. It was a Brazilian who scored it, and it was a game that they ultimately lost but still went through. Yes, it is El Phenomeno Ronaldo getting a hat-trick and in the meantime securing a standing ovation from the Old Trafford fans as he scored an incredible hat-trick against Manchester United in a game that was surrounded by narrative. Can I say one thing? Whenever I think of this particular hat-trick, I cannot help but think of that sick, sick, sick Real Madrid kit. The black Real Madrid kit. Oh my God, I think that is one of my favorite kits in the history of football. I'm a big fan of the old black look on football players. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I just think if, if it had been scored with the white kit, it wouldn't have been the same. I don't know. I just loved it. But no, yeah, this kit specifically took me back to a very specific part of my childhood where I was like, oh, shit, I remember, like, I remember just watching a lot of La Liga at that time and being obsessed with that kit. I remember the championship manager game I was playing at the time. I remember that that kit just brought a lot, playing FIFA a lot with Real Madrid in that kit as well. But this game, let's give a bit of context. So in the first leg, Real Madrid were 3-1 up from the first leg um, with Raul scoring two, Figo getting a goal, and of course, Ruud van Nistelrooy scoring for United. As I was researching this game, I was like, every United game I looked at, it was goal, Ruud van Nistelrooy, goal, Ruud van Nistelrooy. I was like, holy shit, this guy was good, eh? But Real Madrid were leading 3-1 from the late, uh, from the game at the Bernabeu, and they headed to Old Trafford. Now, ahead of the game, a certain David Beckham had been dropped or was not starting because the rumours were circling about the fact that he was due to leave to go to Real Madrid. And he did indeed join Real Madrid the following season. This is where him and Ferguson, their relationship was really starting to fall apart. Now, as the game started, Real Madrid burst into the game. Ronaldo's first goal is such a... Every time I watch it, I think it doesn't go in. I'm not sure why. Just I And I watched it again today and I was like, I remember that specific feeling of being like, that didn't go, oh, it went in. <laughs> like It just looked like it hit the side net in, like a reverse Raheem Sterling. It looked like it hit the side net in, but it actually gone in. Um, so that was the first goal. He then gets a second goal, which is very different. He manages to like faint past the defender, slot it into the bottom corner. That classic kind of shift of like speed and dynamism that El Phenomeno was per- was capable of. And then the third goal was an absolute beauty again from distance, kind of smashed into the net. I think he really properly puts his foot through it. And he's taken off around the 60, 70th minute, as I said, to a standing ovation. And this was one of the games where, like, I remember watching it in the, lo- in the living room at home with my dad and it being one of the games where afterwards my dad was like, bloody hell that was a game of football because don't forget United still won the game 4-3 um there was an amazing own goal from Helguera who managed to almost Rabona nutmeg Casillas it was a really weird own goal um but my dad always tells this story of it he was studying at the time um and he went into university the next day 
and his lecturer was a Man United fan, and he just walked to the front of the class, stood there, and he was studying in Manchester, and he stood there in front of the class and just went, we were taught football last night. Like, that was a lesson in football. Um, and just Ronaldo, that performance is one of the all-time great Champions League performances. And I just love when a opposition crowd respects a performance like that and stands up and applauds. It kind of reminds me of when Ronaldinho was applauded off at the Bernabeu, that kind of thing where you're like, wow, this is a big moment. So this was the hat-trick that I had to talk about. In this season, <clears throat> sorry, Ronaldo would go on to be uh, Real Madrid's first, uh, Real Madrid's top scorer. This was his first season at the Bernabeu after leaving Inter. I'm sorry, Tommy. Nah. Um, he would score 30 goals, 23 in La Liga, six in the Champions League. Um, they would win <clears throat> La Liga, finishing above Real Sociedad. They would also win the, the European Super Cup, beating Feyenoord 3-1. The Intercontinental Cup, beating Paraguay's Olympia 2-0, in which Ronaldo got a goal. And then at the end of the season, this was the season that Del Bosque was sacked because, as Florentino Perez quoted, his face doesn't match Real Madrid. Wow. All right. What does that mean? We don't know. But there are a lot of shady quotes from a certain Florentino Perez. Yeah. So we are not <laughs> surprised. The hat trick that I immediately thought about, which was not actually a hat trick, it was a poker in the Champions League, takes us back all the way to the 2012 2013 season. And Rory, for this game that features Borussia Dortmund and Real Madrid, you were saying you were in Spain at the time, correct? I was living in Madrid at the time. This was my first year in Madrid, I think. And we'd found a lovely little bar, which was like the most Spanish bars called Carolinas. And it did amazing tapas. And it was one of those places where you had the pepitas all over the floor, you know, the sunflower seeds, yeah. proper like Spanish bar. And the place went from very loud to very quiet very quickly. It was incredible. Um, as someone who was an Atletico, or I always preferred Atletico when I was in Madrid, I really enjoyed watching the Real Madrid fans losing their shit. So this Champions League was actually very interested, interesting. It was a semi-final matchup that we're talking about. Borussia Dortmund versus Real Madrid. And this is the season where Malaga from Spain were having a hell of a season. And they went to the quarterfinals against Borussia Dortmund. There were, there were two extremely hard-fought games that eventually Borussia Dortmund were able to win 3-2 on aggregate. I feel like there was a really controversial goal disallowed in one of those games as well for yes. Malaga. I think there was for, a big decision, right? For Malaga, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But uh, this is also the moment in history where people started saying, well, that Borussia Dortmund team was incredible. We're going to go through the mm -hmm. lineups. But it's also when the luck of a certain Jurgen Klopp was made once and for all, when people started taking note of this guy's name. They were just like, wow, He's got an incredible... Borussia Dortmund played beautiful, beautiful football, but they had defeated the Shakhtar Donetsk on an aggregate of 5-2, then Malaga on an aggregate of 3-2, and then the big game comes. Semi-finals against Real Madrid, who had won on aggregate against Manchester United, 3-2, then Galatasaray in the quarterfinals, and then they have to travel all the way to Germany to play the first leg of two for the semi-finals of the Champions League. Now, I'm going to take you through the lineups. This uh, Borussia Dortmund team, wow. Weidenfeller in goal. A four-man defense with Picek, Subotic, Hummels and Schmelzer. At midfield, the two uh, holding midfielders, 
Bender and one player that was playing as a holding midfielder, but then kind of changed throughout his career, Gundogan. Gundogan, he has evolved as a player massively, yeah. Then we had Blachikovsky, Goetze, oh. and Royce all supporting a certain number nine, Robert Lewandowski, who is still banging hat-tricks today <laughs> as we are speaking the longevity of Literally this week. <laughs> yeah. Literally this week. On the other side, we had Diego Lopez in goal, a four-man defense with Fabio Coentrao, Pepe, Varane, and Ramos. Midfielders, Xabi Alonso and Kedira, same lineup as Borussia Dortmund, and then Cristiano Ronaldo, Modric, Ozil, all supporting Higuain up front. The game starts and Lewandowski scores the first goal at the eighth minute. And this was a big upset for Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid, mm-hmm. who I, I had the feeling throughout the entire game and uh, during the build-up to the game that they were thinking they were going there on a little field trip. Like, this is going to be... Yeah. This is the time that we put this Borussia Dortmund team to sleep. Like, they've achieved a lot this season. They're to the, at the semifinals, but now... Real Madrid comes in and we're going to win. Uh, they got other plans uh, for them. Eighth minute, Lewandowski scores the first goal. Beautiful assist. He kind of dives inside the net and it's 1-0 already for Borussia Dortmund. No other goals are scored in the first half, but then the second one kicks off and it's 50th and 55th minute that uh, Lewandowski completes his hat-trick against Real Madrid. And now I kindly invite you listeners to go look at these goals yet again, because they he literally cleaned up the box. So they weren't beautiful passes from his teammates. It was just pure drive of, okay, I've got the ball here. I've got to figure out a way to, boom, goal. Boom, goal. And it went in. Um, actually, before he had completed the hat-trick, Cristiano Ronaldo had tied the game, sorry, at the 43rd minute. So we go into the 55th, and it's 3-1 Borussia Dortmund, and he completes the magical night with a fourth goal scored from the penalty spot. Of course, Real Madrid were able to win the return fixture 2-0 at the Bernabeu with goals from Benzema, who is still banking goals this day, and Sergio Ramos. But that wasn't enough, and Borussia Dortmund would advance on a 4-3 aggregate. Unfortunately, that campaign ended horribly for Borussia Dortmund. I remember the final against Bayern Munich. Man, that was one of the biggest impartial heartbreaks that I have yeah. ever witnessed yeah. in football. Do yeah. you remember I that really, final? really wanted Dortmund to do that. I really wanted them to get it. It was, man, the that final uh, against Bayern Munich. I was just like, all right, can they do it? Can they do it? I remember that Gundogan penalty, um, and then uh, and then that goal by Robin. I was very mm-hmm. happy for the man. I was very, very happy for the man. Um, but look, it, it just felt unfair for everything that Borussia Dortmund had accomplished. Yeah, but this was this was Bayern's redemption after the Chelsea final, right? There was no way they were going to lose this one. They were like so determined to win this one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. 2012, 2013, good memories. I was in university. I remember watching it at this uh, Chinese-owned bar in uh, Lambrate, a neighborhood in the mm-hmm. northeast side of Milan. 
uh, a place that made incredible negro incredible they were just filled with booze negronis <laughs> that's what a negroni is man yeah, yeah exactly they're, they're disgusting, <laughs> just just filled with cheap alcohol like let's say <laughs> and the one they were on inside big glasses and they cost only three euros i remember being oh. i remember being quite waved by the end of the football match and there was a guy an old man who we never figure out who he was Absolutely Italian, 100% Italian, rocking a Borussia Dortmund kit. <laughs> and when that Robin goal went in, this man who had been also feasting on Negronis just put his head down on the table and didn't move for about 10 minutes. And I remember <laughs> that at a point, this kind of like neighborhood thug, like a young guy just was talking to his friends and they were like, do you think the guy is okay? Like, is he breathing? And he sort of went there and it was like, dude, are you okay? The guy just stood up, left, and the bar owner chased <laughs> Yeah, I've had eight Negronis. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, he, did, he didn't say a word. I remember the bar owner chasing him and being like, dude, dude, you didn't pay. God oh, damn it. And the guy just left and like disappeared in the horizon. We always went at that bar. We had never seen this person before. Never saw it again. And uh, that's my memory of that oh. incredible final. But yeah, so when I think of hat-tricks, it's that poker by Lewandowski against Real Madrid. What is the last one we've got, Rory? The last one is going to be, both of mine involve Manchester United, but Manchester United fans, do not run away. This one is in your favour. Now, this game was played in the 04-05 season. Again, it took place at Old Trafford, but this time it was in the group stages. And Manchester United, in preparation for this season, had had made one particular signing. It was a big signing. He'd just come fresh from Euro 2004, where he'd scored four goals, um, two versus Switzerland, two versus Croatia. He became the youngest ever player to score at the Euros, and that is, of course, Wayne Rooney. So Ooh. he'd signed for Manchester United, and this was like, obviously, he denounced himself a little bit at Everton with that goal against Arsenal, um, which was a trend that would continue throughout his career. Um, and he, I think this was the night where people realized that Man United had just got themselves the best striker in the Premier League for the next 10, 15 years. I think this was the time when people were like, oh, United fans were very excited and every other fan in the country was not as excited. Um, Wayne Rooney at this age was, I just remember the country being obsessed with him. They were so excited and I was excited about how good this guy could be until he signed for Manchester United, right? At Euro 2004, he was unbelievable. There's a quote from Gary Neville who said, and this shows like how unfazed Rooney was. So he made his debut for England at 17 um, and when he got to the Euros, Gary Neville said that Rooney came up to him before one of the games at the tournament. I think it was before the Croatia game. No, it was before his England debut, I think, and said, I can't wait for tonight. I cannot wait for the for tonight. And Gary Neville said he'd never heard a player come up to him and say, like, I cannot wait to play this game. Like, I am so ready for this. And this is what happened to him with his career. Everything, he just seemed unfazed and to completely dominate it. So he makes his home debut. Well, not even his home debut. His debut for Manchester United at home in the Champions League against Fenerbahce, and he scores a hat-trick. The third goal is in front of the Stretford end. Now, the first goal is a beautiful run, and you can see, when I was watching the highlights, what really stood out to me was like, he was constantly asking for the ball, constantly screaming for the ball, and something that you especially noticed, or I noticed when I saw Rooney 
when I saw him play live was that he did he just runs from end of the pitch, end of the pitch. He runs back, covers everything. And you could see it in these highlights. He just does not stop moving. For the first goal, he runs onto a beautiful ball from Giggs and just tucks it away. The second goal is amazing as he faints the defender and just sends the defender for a hot dog, cuts the ball onto his right and just hits it into the far corner. And at this point, people are really kind of realizing what a performance they're watching. And the third goal in front of the Stratford end, free kick, wraps up the hat trick. And as I said, it just announces his arrival in English football in the Premier League. It announces that he is here for the long term. Now, this season for United was a bit weird. It was they ended trophyless, but it was only the fourth time in 17 years that they hadn't won a trophy, right? So this is definitely like a transition team for Manchester United. Um, but six of the players who were in the team then go on to start the Champions League final, or five. We have Rio Ferdinand, Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, Neville, Giggs, Scholes, Wes Brown, more than six, that's like seven, of these players would go on and win the Champions League in 2008-2009 season. So this was like the transition team between the second of Fergie's teams and the third Fergie team. Um, it was like the transition year, and Rooney was definitely like the first piece or a key piece in the part of that transition. And this hat-trick really was like, not only are all the goals beautiful, it just, it uh, yeah, it it started a new era for Manchester United. Beautiful, yes. I remember that uh, that young Rooney. All the world was super. Not only England, there were talks about Rooney all over the mm -hmm. world. I feel like incredible player, incredible legacy. I do miss a little bit of Wayne Rooney. And I love I was, him. I love I was, him. I would say something awful. Uh, you've met him too, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I was lucky enough to work with him for uh, like a weekend. It was really weird, but he's a really um, nice guy. I'm going to say something horrible, but what I, I, I always loved the juxtaposition between Wayne Rooney's looks and the way he played football. He was one of the most elegant, deadly players on the pitch. But then, like, do you remember that picture of him strolling with his family, eating that, like, candy? Oh, apple? the lollipop. <laughs> yeah, such a good photo. Such a good photo. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Like, he, he just looks like a boxer. He looks like he's built like a boxer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I, yeah. I, I just loved like the juxtaposition between his talent and um, and then his his looks. But um, uh, in the Champions League, the top uh, the 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 two people with the most hat tricks are of course Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo with eight. Robert Lewandowski follows with five, one for Dortmund and four for Bayern Munich. And then with three, we've got Filippo Inzaghi, Mario Gomez, Luis Adriano, Neymar, and Karim Benzema. So it all started from Kareem the Dream, and it all wraps up with the same person. This is it for our weekly topic. We are going to quickly jump to our outro to preview our weekend fixtures across Serie A and the Premier League. And it's time, dear listeners, to send you off with the weekend fixtures across the Serie A and the Premier League. We are going to start in Italy. It all kicks off on Saturday at 3 p.m. Central European time. Salernitana take on Sassuolo. After losing 5-0 against Inter Milan, 
can they try and uh, make some points? I think not this time around. Sassuolo are, are on a three-game winning streak, having defeated Inter Milan, Fiorentina and Venezia. Do I see a battering here? Quite possibly. At 3 p.m., a big relegation battle between Spezia and Cagliari. They are both on 28 games, separated by one point only. Cagliari is at 25, three points above the relegation zone, and Spezia is at 26. Crucial, crucial game for both teams. Cagliari are looking much better, but they have indeed picked up their first defeat in, uh, in since a long time. They, their first defeat since uh, January 16th, losing 3 0 against Lazio at home on the last Serie A match day. At 6 p.m., always on Saturday, we've got the Sampdoria-Juventus. Now, we've seen it over and over again. Juventus look ready to take advantage of another slip up top. Hopefully, no teams up top slip because we don't want to see Juventus competing for the title. This is our pod. If you don't like it, listen to another one. Then, at 8.45 p.m., we've got AC Milan taking on Empoli. Empoli are not looking very good. In fact, their last win in the league dates back to December 12th, 2021, and it was against Naples. Quite odd. Over the last five games, they've lost two, drawn three, but I don't think that AC Milan are going to lose the opportunity to collect another three points after their, uh, I would say, cynical win at the Maradona in Napoli. On a Sunday, we've got a lunchtime match between Fiorentina and Bologna. Fiorentina uh, drew their last game against Verona, 1-1. They had lost the previous one against Sassuolo, 2-1. And so they really need to step it up if they want to finish the season strong. Because I can see them wanting to perform in uh, European football. They have one game in hand. They're only three points behind Lazio. And I think that this game is not going to be easy, but it's going to be a bit of a go-fest. Elas Verona take on Napoli at 3 p.m. Now, this is an interesting one because Mm. Elas Verona were the guys that stuck their stick in Napoli's wheel on the last match day of last season, which meant that Napoli wouldn't play European football and instead... Juventus would. Hmm. Napoli, they lost against AC Milan last week. And there were a lot of talks about, you know, Spalletti saying, we just didn't have the guts. If we want to be remembered in history, if we want to win the league, this is not the attitude. They need to step it up once again. They are not out of the Scudetto race. Of course, now, though, they are three points behind AC Milan, the current table leaders. At 6 p.m., we've got two matches, Atalanta-Genoa and Udinese-Roma. And on Sunday night, Torino take on Inter at 8.45. Torino are not easy opposition. However, they haven't won a game since January 15th against the Sampdoria. Across their last six, three defeats, three draws. Inter Milan have no excuses. We need to go in there and try to win this game, despite Brozovic maybe being out. And this is one thing that I forgot to say earlier. Marcelo Brozovic, what an incredible signing we mm-hmm. did back in 2014. What an incredible player. Whenever he's on his night, Inter perform. Whenever Inter are on their night, Marcelo Brozovic performs. You can look at, at any performance from Inter Milan from this season that didn't work quite well, and there is always 
an issue with the way Brozovic played. So he's really everything that the team rotates around. And it all wraps up on a Monday night uh, while we will be doing our Euro Review uh, show on Twitch and YouTube with Lazio Venezia at 8.45pm. That's it from Italy. Rory, what have you got for us from Jolly Good England? Well, we've not mentioned it yet, but there are Premier League games on as we speak. At the moment, Watford are getting slapped 3-0 by Wolves. Um, Newcastle have just equalised Chris Wood with his first goal for the club as he's drawn it one all against Southampton. We have Chelsea starting off live post-Abramovich pretty well away to Norwich, 2-0. Goals from Chalibur and Mount. And Leeds Aston Villa is 20 minutes in and still nil-nil. Come on, Leeds. Come on, Leeds. Right, let's get to the weekend. On Saturday, we have quite a quiet day. The early kickoff on Saturday is Brighton taking on Liverpool. The last game, of course, was that 2-2 where Brighton came down from 2-0 down. Brighton now lost their last four straight games, conceding 2-4-5-6-7-8-9 goals and only scoring one. Liverpool, obviously, despite losing to Inter, are in very good form and not really looking like slowing down, I fear, for Brighton in this one. Later on on Saturday, we have Brentford taking on Burnley. This is a massive game in the relegation battle. In the table, they are only separated by three points. No, six points. They're separated by six points. So if Burnley can get a result here, it will drag Brentford in. Brentford really did help themselves getting that win against Norwich last weekend. Then the late kickoff on Saturday. It's a big one. It's a game that I'm trying to figure out if two teams can lose a game. It's Manchester United taking on Tottenham Hotspur. Last time United won 3-0, but we have seen that Tottenham can definitely turn up for these big games. Um, Man United, of course, lost to Man City last weekend. They've not won in three. And this is them really hitting the kind of, they're in the middle of their rough run of fixtures here. Tottenham, on the other hand, I can't believe we've not mentioned it. We probably should have mentioned it. Everton could get relegated. Tottenham are fresh off a 5-0 battering of Everton. Um, or Tottenham are fresh. Did I say that right? Tottenham are fresh off the battering of a 5 I don't know. You're confusing me. Just keep going. <laughs> Tottenham battered Everton 5-0, basically. So their, their tails are going to be up. This is going to be an interesting game. And that's arguably game of the weekend. Then on Sunday, we have the all kicking off at the same time. You can figure out the time, but all these games kick oh, off. Come on, it's time. easy. This time around, since it's so easy, say it, 3 p.m. Central European time. 3 p.m. Central European time. <laughs> I did it. We have Battle of the... Dodgy owners. We have Chelsea taking on Newcastle United. Newcastle, as I said, are currently drawing one all as we speak. Um, Chelsea currently winning 2 0. This could be an interesting game. Um, we'll see how Chelsea will deal with it. Newcastle in fantastic form. Chelsea. Like the, it's a bit of the passing of the torch between shady owner to other shady owner, you know? It is like as I leave, you continue my legacy. Um, so both <laughs> and nothing teams has in... changed in football, really. <laughs> both teams have won four of their last five, drawing the other one. Um, so this could be a really, really fascinating game. Then we have a massive game for Everton. They're genuinely in trouble. They could be relegated for the first time in their history if they do not pull their finger out. I was looking through their fixtures. 
it's looking pretty grim for Everton. Do you want to go through these fixtures, Tommy? It's pretty rough. They have Wolves at home, Newcastle at home, Palace away. They have Watford away, which is a game that maybe they could win. West Ham away, United at home, Palace at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Brentford at home, which is a game that they could win. And their last game of the season is Arsenal away. They have got some rough fixtures coming up. If they need to find some form and quick, and their defense looks fucking terrible, I think Wolves could really go to town on this one. Then we also have a massive game down at the bottom. Another one, Leeds taking on Norwich, depending on how Leeds do tonight. They could be in good form. You will know. Um, Norwich, definitely relegated, hoping Leeds win this one. We have Southampton taking on Watford. Watford looking like they're definitely relegated. Southampton kind of on the beach. Um, So this game, I'm going to go for a Southampton easy win. Then we have West Ham taking on Aston Villa. Battle of the Clarets. Um, This could be a really, again, a game that I think is going to be worth watching. Um, Aston Villa... Coutinho on form. They've now won their last two. West Ham, including the severe game, have now lost their last three games. They really need to get some form together if they want to continue this run for Europe. And then the last game on Sunday, the big one. It's Arsenal taking on Leicester. Um, last time, Arsenal won 2-1 with that fantastic save from Aaron Ramsdale. Unbelievable save. And him winding up the crowd. Arsenal the most informed team in Europe over the last 10 games, as I've seen, which is a bit mental and scary. Um, Leicester have now won four of their last five games, so they're starting to turn their season around. It's no coincidence that Jamie Vardy has been back, but he will be missing this weekend, which is a relief. So we will see how Arsenal get on. They'll be keen to hold on to their fourth spot. Fingers crossed. Then they get the season, the season, the weekend finishes. Not yet. I just want the season to end. Can we end the season? We're in fourth. Let's end the season. Um, The weekend ends with Crystal Palace hosting Man City. Now, people with good memories will remember that earlier this season, Crystal Palace beat Man City 2-0 at the Etihad. So this is a game that Man City might not be feeling that confident about but they should feel pretty confident about it. Um, Palace last time out beat Wolves 2-0 away. They're genuinely starting to get some... They are pulling off some great results. Um, They're now unbeaten in their last four. Man City unbeaten in their last four, obviously. Um, Smash Man United, they'll be looking to keep this run going. That is the weekend done. Come on, Arsenal. But the one thing we forgot to mention to our listeners very quickly on Saturday afternoon at 4.15 p.m., Rory Criscuolo and Tommaso Dami are filling up the gas, the car with very expensive gas oh. and uh, making their way to Monza to watch Monza Virtus Vicenza. Now, Monza are on fifth position, five points behind first place with 48 points, while Vicenza... Are where are Vicenza? I cannot They're see them. Way... They're way down. They're in the relegation zone. So we decided to go check out some Serie B. We are super excited about it. Rory, we're going to be in touch. I kind of want a full Saturday experience. Like we go for lunch at some trattoria yeah. in the countryside, then we go to the game. 
Super excited about it. Let's make it happen. We will try and take some videos for our Instagram page. And this is a nice little leeway to remind you that you can follow us on social media at Italian Anglo Pod on Twitter and at Anglo Italian Pod on Instagram. Rory, before I leave you to the customary quote to send off our listeners, since the protagonist of the quote is a certain guy nicknamed The Dream, since I don't believe that Messi or Ronaldo or Mbappé, for that reason, can aim for the Ballon d'Or that season, do you think there is finally a shout for our two favorite number nines, Karim Benzema and Robert Lewandowski? There's been one in the post for Lewandowski for a while. It has to be delivered at some point. If he can deliver another Champions League to Bayern Munich, and I kind of hope he can, we could see uh, the second Polish Ballon d'Or winner after Zbigniew Boniek, who was born in Bydgosz, where I lived in Poland, actually. Um, We could see the second Polish Ballon d'Or winner. I really hope it happens. So before... Well, actually, I'm just going to send you off, listeners. It's not before anything. I'm going to send you off. So settle down. Here we go. You ready? The quote this week does come from a personal hero of mine, Thierry Henry, talking about a personal hero of Tommy's, Karim Benzema, where he says, when I speak about Benzema, only one word comes to mind. It's class. He is class. When he plays, whatever he does, he does it with class. I couldn't agree more unless it's with his friends off the pitch.